Coming up in Need to Know, we say goodbye to grind culture and hello to rest as we review our January Warden-Webster Better You Book Club book, Rest is Resistance. And in all the fields, how did you propose to your work spouse? And can you break up with your work family? And in Gotta Do, when you wake from that restful slumber, we want you to go ahead and jot those dreams down. The podcast that encourages you to know, feel, and do to live your very best life. This is Warden-Webster. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I am like <laughs> You already know. You already know how. <laughs> <laughs> but the wonders don't know. <laughs> I am flustered and flabbergasted. <laughs> I don't know. It is just such a I don't know. I I don't I don't know. I don't know, but I believe that it is going to get better. It has to. It has to. What's the, how are you? And then we'll get into the letter and then we'll get into these things. <laughs> I'm great. So as, as you all know, Bianca and I work together in real life. This is real life. I don't know why I said that. We work together professionally and we can't repeat some things that we were discussing right before we came on today's show. But suffice it to say, B, this has been a day. But you know what? The weekend is upon us and 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 it's going to be okay. Today's episode of Warden Webster is brought to you by the letter V, as in Valentine. This year, <laughs> 2023, is the first time I've had a Valentine in a lot of years. And so I have to admit that I'm a little kind of maybe excited about this made-up Hallmark holiday, only because... I have a boo. I want us to run the tapes <laughs> where you, in the past you have poo-pooed it and talk about people getting all spun up about a made-up holiday. But now that you are booed up, it's a thing. <laughs> Good for We're, you. We are about two weeks away and I have given some thought to it. And I've been asking other people if they have, you know, suggestions or thoughts. So you've been booed up for, you know, what, I don't know, almost a decade and a half. Have you thought, of, do y'all celebrate Valentine's? I don't remember. Not really. Not the okay, way we used so, to. Okay. So you're not doing anything. Um, <laughs> Cliff's not giving you a microwave. <laughs> oh, what a time. <laughs> I wish he loved me the same. <laughs> if you don't know that Ooh. reference you need to rewind and go a few episodes back carry on we're not repeating it you, we're, we're you, not. Get it, you get it exactly what is this you put something oh, in there about your bloopers so i think there needs to be a new segment called bianca's bloopers where in the intro <laughs> i apologize for just loud and wrong shit that i said the week before almost every episode that i listen to I, I'm like, damn, Bianca, that wasn't correct. Or that was wrong. Or what the hell? And so I told myself I was just going to start documenting it so that I don't look like an ass all the time. But last week in particular, when we were talking about endorsements, that episode was such a tickle, by the way. When we were talking about celebrity endorsements, I said Quinta Brunson for CoverGirl. And it's not. It's for Olay. And I swear to you, I thought about it because after I listened to the episode, I don't even think it was like an hour later where her commercial came on. And I was like, shit, <laughs> that is not cover girl. But more often than not, there was something the week before that I think I said about Jeremy Pope that was wrong or somebody else. Like there's always something that I catch myself. But in that moment, I feel confident. <laughs> so 
I'm like, I'm just going to just let whatever the hell come out of my mouth. But every week I'm, I make a mistake. And because I am human, I ask for grace and also acknowledge when I be fucking up. You know, there's a conviction behind being loud and wrong where people <laughs> actually are more likely to believe it. Because if you say it with enough conviction, even if it's 100% false, people are like, wow, there's no way she could be so like about it and be wrong, right? <laughs> Sounds like politicians. <laughs> and speaking, speaking of politicians, of so let's talk about classified information. These two docs. So last year, last fall, um, we found out that former President Donald J. Trump had been having a back and forth with National Archives and with the Department of Justice because he took a whole bunch of shit from the White House that didn't belong to him. And they asked for him to return it. And he was like, no, I want to keep it and look at it and roll around on the floor in it. So they were like, look, could you please send our shit back because we're not fucking around with you. And if you don't send it, we're going to come down there and go through your shit. He's like, fuck off. So they went down there, <laughs> went through Mar-a-Lago, and they carted off oh 300 boxes of shit that him and Melania stole. And turns out they had some classified documents. Who knows why they took them? Who knows if it was a mistake or not? I, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that they took some shit that didn't belong to them and they had to give it back. They had their house searched. So ever since then, you know, the MAGA folks have been up in arms and be like, why did they search their home? They didn't have to do that. They could have just asked for the boxes back. And I'm like, but they did. So then fast forward to earlier this year, Uncle Jojo was like, oops. <laughs> oops, me and Jilly may have taken some shit that didn't belong to us, but we gave it back. We told them we found it and we wanted them to come get it. No harm, no foul. We even gave them permission to search our home. Whatever, come get your shit. We don't want this bullshit paper in our house anyway. So archives and DOJ went to Uncle Jojo's house, took the shit back, whatever. MAGA people are all in their feelings. They're like, but why didn't they have a search warrant to search their house? Blah, 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 blah. Why is he not taking care of our secrets? Blah, 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 blah. He should go to jail. And the whole time, Bianca, I was thinking to myself, you know, classified spillage is a thing. This happens fairly frequently. I think it's really common. I think y'all are maybe overreacting. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, no, Uncle Judge should go to jail. Child, girl, sweetie. So last week, Vice President Michael Pence of Indiana he tapped us on the shoulder and was like, oopsie. <laughs> Actually, we took some shit that didn't belong to us. It's in our house. Can y'all come pick up this shit in Indiana? DOJ was like, we sure will. So they sent some FBI agents to scoop up the classified information from his house. So now we got three people, Trump, Biden, Pence, that accidentally had some classified documents at their homes and the government had to come get them back. So Bianca, what this says to me, it's obvious that this is widespread. It's obvious that this happens a lot. And what I really think that people need to understand is that there might be more stuff out there that they find. I don't think that it's that big of a deal, really. I think we have an issue with overclassification of documents. And I think we really need to stop overreacting to this. What was your reaction to this? <laughs> but Hillary Clinton's emails. No, but so... <laughs> That part, that part. <laughs> I was like, these classified documents are everywhere. They're in the garage. They're in the gym. They're in little Billy's book bag. They're just all over the fucking place. <laughs> and <laughs> our good friends at Today Explained did a whole episode 
on these things about one the overclassification of email of of documents like what is classified and what isn't i think there was something today i don't know something i saw on on gma about um just kind of like how sometimes this happens right like it, it could be part of the rush for the former president to move out of the white house for the new one like all of that stuff and things just um happening working with interns they were trying to put it on everybody's show and i just <laughs> i just reflect back to when they raided mar-a-lago the fact that we were <laughs> in Florida, <laughs> curled up in front of that, what, CNN, <laughs> watching it all go down. But there has been, I just, I am just baffled. It's like people forgetting to return their library book. I'm pretty sure I have a library book from elementary school on a shelf. Nobody's coming to get it. But then I am curious sometimes in this whole situation, like what makes these documents classified? What What is it? Are there like nuclear arm codes? Like, no. is it anything to be So concerned? that was the point I wanted to make and you raised the overclassification. So I want to give the wonders an example of something that might have a classified marking. So a lot of people don't know this, but Bianca, the menus, the menus for state dinners carry a classified marking. Now they're not top secret classified, but they are, you know, there's levels to classification. Even the menu for a dinner can have a classified marking. So when they say they found classified materials at Vice President Pence's home, you, that doesn't really tell you anything. You need to know what the document is. It could literally be a menu. It could be a travel itinerary for a head of state when they came to DC. It could be something more serious, but just something with a classified marking, it, that doesn't mean that it's serious. You need to know more about the document to really be able to say whether or not it's a serious breach or not. The point I'm trying to make is we overclassify shit. Some of the shit that they classify are things that you can read in the newspaper and it doesn't need to be classified. And so that's the, that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to think about how these people work. So uh, all the people that we mentioned, Trump, Biden, Pence, they don't do all of their work in the White House. They don't do all of their work in a secure location. They travel, they work from home, just like the rest, or not the rest, but most of us. And so they look at information wherever they happen to be. It's not realistic that every time one of them looks at their briefing book, that they're going to be sitting in the situation room. That That's not how it works. Like, they look at this stuff all over. And so sometimes when I say spillage, it spills out. It's left on a desk. Someone forgets to file it. Someone forgets to, you know, take it back. It doesn't rise to the level of importance. So if you do see that the menu was left on the desk and you're running out the door to get to, I don't know, some function, who's going to stop what they're doing to return a menu just because it has a classified marking on it? Like, it's not important. <laughs> but Trump had... <laughs> so many documents and things torn up and in the toilet that he was trying to fresh child. So that leads me to believe it wasn't just a menu. But I'm, I'm not here to defend Trump, but let me say <laughs> something about that. Him having the, the documents was not the issue. The issue was when archives called him and said, send the shit back. The problem is that he didn't. That's why he got in trouble. And that's why his house was raided. If he would have just sent it back, it wouldn't have been a problem. That would have been too much like, right. <laughs> The Oscars are coming. What do we think? I'm perusing the nominees because mm -hmm. I haven't seen a whole lot of the movies this year. Obviously, we're super excited about Angela Bassett being nominated for Best Supporting <laughs> Actress for 
Wakanda Forever. This is her, I think it's her second nomination, correct? Has she gotten a nomination other than the, the famous two that we know of? I don't think so. Okay, I don't I don't, I don't think, think so. so either. And then a lot of these other nominees I'm not quite familiar with. As I scroll through the list, um, I did see the Fablemans. Um, Ed and I oh, saw that. Did? He hated it. He hated oh. it. I thought it was okay. <laughs> And I see Michelle Williams is nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role for The Fableman. So that's one movie I've seen. But a lot of the movies that are nominated, Bianca, I have not. I couldn't even tell you. I said that I was going to watch Everything Everywhere all at once. I really do want to see that. So I am going to watch all of that. I'm going to watch that. Um, I'm excited about Ruth Carter's um, nomination for Wardrobe for our costume design for Wakanda Forever. You know, she won um for black panther so and it's just beautiful she's incredible um yes auntie angela i want her to get the things and then also i think i might wa- i am so music original score so you know um that natu natu song <laughs> won, <laughs> won the golden globes but once again Madam Rihanna is is up for Lift Me Up, and so is, oh, no, they didn't do the little Taylor Swift song. Oh, just kidding. Um, so Rihanna is up for Lift Me Up, which actually people really hate that song, so I don't know. And then um, Lady Gaga for the Top Gun song. Who won the globe? Natu Natu. Okay. By, by RRR. <laughs> They decided to go with 10 nominees for Best Picture. And I hate, I hate, I hate that they do 10. They used to do five. And years ago, they decided to start nominating somewhere between five and 10 just to give more people a chance. The reason that I dislike this, Bianca, is because, you know, to be honest with you, seven of these 10 have no chance of winning. And so I don't, I don't really see the point of this. But anyway, here are the 10 pictures that the Academy has picked as nominees for Best Picture. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, the Banshees of Insurin, Elvis, <laughs> Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. You did see Top Gun Maverick, right? I didn't. Even though oh, I thought you did. It's available to me, like on one of these streaming platforms. Um, the other night, the husband was re-watching the first one, I think, in preparation so that, to remember what happened so that he could watch the second one. But I haven't, I am really surprised though. And again, this is me, I didn't, I didn't see it. I know it did very well at the box office, but just the fact that it has gotten so much, so much buzz and nomination mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's Top Gun. It's know. not the type of film that they would normally pick for Best Picture, so I would be stunned yeah. if it wins. And to be honest with you, none of those really stand out. I feel like the race is wide open. Maybe Avatar? Mm. Maybe? It's over $2 billion it's made already. I, I don't know, but I, I, I can't see a standout from this group because normally, you know, there's buzz around a movie. And you can say, even mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the movie, you're like, oh, I think this is going to win. I, I couldn't tell you based on this list who's in the lead at this point. The Oscars come on in March. We'll definitely be recapping at least the fashions, but that gives me over a month to watch a few of these because they are on my streaming thing. So I know I can see Elvis. Like I said, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, the Banshees of Insurin. Insurin? In, in Insurin? Okay, that one. Um, <laughs> the husband and the son saw Avatar and they really enjoyed it, but I'm not, I'm not sitting through that. 
maybe Top Gun. I don't know. I didn't even know what women's talking. I, I never heard of it. So I don't know. God bless to all of the nominees. Let's move on. The time has come for us to review our first Ward and Webster Better You book club book. Today we are reviewing Rest is Resistance, a manifesto by Trisha Hersey. I feel like to even review this book, we should be doing it laying down. Like <laughs> we should be laying down. So a, a few things. This is only the second book that I have ever listened to and purchased. And the first time I did it, um, so Audible and Amazon got my money twice. <laughs> um, the last time I did it was Billy Porter's book because I wanted to listen to it, but the audio version was like pushed back, I think, because anyway, it wasn't coming out in time for us when we did it in the book club. So I read it. Um, and then when it came out, I was like, oh, I have to listen. And I, and I, literally listened to it all over again because I wanted to hear it in his voice. And it gave a very different tone and perspective and experience. What made me want to, so I was listening to Rest is Resistance because we already talked about the fact that on Audible, like it's only a little over five hours. So it's not a long listen and it isn't a long read. What made me want to buy it was I was like, no, I need a pen and a highlighter. I want to mark up some things. There are things in here that she is talking about that I want to go back to. And even in the in the book, towards the end, she talks about that this is a resource. Like this isn't necessarily something to just listen to or read and be done. It is something to go back to. Um, so I'm glad that I purchased the book because I want to be able to do just that. And the formatting, I think the experience when you listen versus actually look how at how the pages and the things are formatted make a difference because she has quite a bit of lists kind of like things to do that she mentions um in the audiobook but in the audiobook it just sounds like she's just kind of I didn't realize that oh no this is a list like I can see it differently it just sounds like she's just kind of reading off some things rest is resistance a manifesto so Trisha Hersey is the founder of the Nat ministry which we have mentioned numerous times on the show but for those who don't know Trisha Hersey is an American poet performance artist and activist best known as the founder of the organization the Nat ministry she refers to herself as the Nat bishop and advocates for the importance of rest as a racial and social justice issue she is very clear about the fact that we are not our bodies are not built for this grind grind culture and we'll talk about what that is it is not built for grind culture it is not built to sustain capitalism it is not built for white supremacy it is just it is just not and the fact that it is our inherent our our birthright our whew, our gift to ourselves and our ancestors to rest the the idea that we have to continue to keep and rest is more than naps and she says that quite a few times in the book like it's like yes she talks about the importance of like resting your eyes and laying down for 20 minutes and just but in in the sense that 
not to rest in order to be able to get up and be more productive. It's not that. It is. It was so many aha moments in this book for me that I was like, damn, <laughs> mm-hmm. damn. From from the just talking about and just unpacking how we are often how we are taught and socialized and how we come into this world um grinding she mm-hmm. talked she talked even about her her son going to school and she was like you know he school starts at seven thirty, eight o'clock she's like why are kids going to school that early even before she got to that talking about the birth of him i thought yes! one of the thing i want to that's one of the points i wanted to talk to about to you about the book let me just say yeah i love this book Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books we've read thus far. I um I had the audio version, but what I did was very quickly I realized, oh, I need to write this shit down. So I started a notes page on my computer and I took notes, which I'm using today to kind of do this review because it was just, it was so rich. And I was like, I could tell that I was missing because I wasn't seeing the list because she was, you know, she does this long introduction before she essentially reveals that the book is four parts, rest, dream, resist, and imagine. And so, and then there's a way deep dive on each one of those. And so I quickly realized that I needed to like write this shit down. It was that good. I will say this, her, she reads the book herself. It's imperfect in the way she reads it, but I loved it. And by that, I mean, she could have hired a professional quote unquote reader to read her book, but this felt like, Bianca, this felt like we were at a cafe, a real laid back cafe. We had had a, some sort of dessert or something. And we were just enjoying a conversation. That's what it felt like to me. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so I appreciated the the way she chose to convey this message, because I think I received it in the way that she would have preferred. And she literally says, I want you to experience this book lying down. Mm, that was, yes. one of the first, was one of the first mantras. Yes. And I was mad at myself because I wasn't. <laughs> Every time I was listening, I was like, damn, I am, it's literally counter to what she was saying. So I tend to listen to audiobooks when I am driving somewhere. So when I'm in the car going, usually work, wherever I'm going, or when I'm cooking dinner, or when I'm walking the dog, like I'm usually always doing something. It is very rare that I am listening, lying down. And I was like, okay, when I do this all over again, (laughs) (laughs) I need to lie down. You're right. She could have hired a reader. It sounded wonderful in her voice. I could tell by the way that she reads that she is a poet, that she is a spoken word artist like that was conveyed through that. Um, She's from Chicago and I could hear that too. And so it was really, let me just say, so the book even just opens up and yeah, before even gets into the things. Your body is a site of liberation. It doesn't belong to capitalism. Love your body, rest your body, move your body, hold your body. She said, look here, y'all. I am going to tell you 17,000 times in this book, fuck that grind culture (laughs) and that capitalism because it is not sustaining. And at the same time, she's real. Like she, she's talking about how she got to this point that she was very much in the thick of it. Her, her child going to school, working, internship, divinity school, like all of these things. So she's speaking from a place of, I get it. 
Like I know when she ran down what her schedule was for the day, like literally only four hours of sleep because she's starting at 5 a.m. and not ending until after midnight and all of the things that, that she had to do. And it's like, I appreciate so much the the emphasis and the reminder consistently um that grind culture is trash we are we are so programmed and i think even more so as and i think she touched on it in the book but even more so as black people because there is this you know work hard sleep till i'm dead have multiple jobs and side hustles mm-hmm. and to achieve to achieve this this money this getting all the bags and the coins and because we are trying to get to a a financial place to be able to be at the same level of white folks or white supremacy when they've already yes. had a head start. Like we've talked yes. about the fact that they've are they've had many head starts. And she points out how the system, as she calls mm-hmm. it, is constructed for the for the express purpose of keeping <sighs> us in this zombie-like state of tiredness, chasing like a hamster wheel on some shit that that is always going to be just beyond our reach because that's the whole, that's how it's all set up. Yes. Let me just say, Mm-hmm. When she was talking about her day, it reminded me of my own mother, who was also the type of person that got up at five, like way before the sun came up to get all of her children ready for school, to do all the things she needed to do before she even got herself ready to go to work, went to work, worked a whole day, then came home to care of us. And she was always the last person to be taken care of because she was taking care of the household, her spouse, of us. My mom never took a sick day, you know. Everyone got a new pair, whatever, before she did. And it was so I could, as she was telling this story, it made me think of my mother and how she, like she did this. And then I was thinking so much of this is tied into the sense that the grind and this hyper productivity tied to some sense of worth or success. In other words, if you're not exhausted at the end of the day, then somehow you haven't worked enough. (laughs) <laughs> you, mm-hmm, you should mm-hmm. give more if you, you if you don't fall down at, at night into your bed then somehow you're doing you're it wrong productive. <laughs> that is some crazy white supremacy bullshit it is unbelievable because we don't want to be seen as lazy and we don't want to though she talks numerous times about you know when we are resting the feeling of uh, this guilt that we shouldn't be, that we should be doing something else. And I have been there like, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm laying down, but I could be doing X, Y, Z and this and this and this and this. And just how that that is so ingrained in us and so unhealthy. It, yes and yes. I think about, you know, my own mother and talked about it on the show, but my mother was working six days a week when 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 she fainted at work and got sick. And so it's like, these are, and I think she was, by that time, you know, I'm grown, my brother's grown, so we're taking care of ourselves. But my mother was also working hard just to be able to survive because rent is so high, because past debt, because X, Y, Z, needing two jobs in order to survive. And it's like, it's, it's, awful it is awful there were so many parts in this book that i just whew. yeah <laughs> yeah i was like oh you just gonna throw up a mirror sis and tell me about myself i felt i felt seen and read at the same time let's talk about the system which is what i i really thought was 
um, the center of this book, one of my big takeaways. Um, this is a direct quote from the book. And forgive me, I didn't write down what page it was on. I will never donate my body to the system, the same system that owes a debt to my ancestors. And so she was talking about in this section of the book, how our people have already worked. They were enslaved. They were not paid for their labor, for their expertise, for their whatever. And before we even talk about what me and Bianca and my and our parents need to do to quote unquote, be productive, there needs to be a conversation about the unpaid labor that's already taken place over generations. At one point she said, rest is reparations. And I texted you and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> did you see this? <laughs> she don't want the money. She wants the rest. And I was like, uh-uh, Bianca's not going to like that. The idea being that uh, the, the takeaway point is as simple as this. We've earned this rest. We're not resting because, because we're being lazy because we haven't committed the work. Our ancestors didn't have the luxury of resting at all. So therefore we get to, I think that's the point she was trying to make, but she goes back again and again to this system and how, if you're not rested, then you're unaware of the system around you. Then it is only through rest that the truth is revealed to you and you're able to tackle the system around you. Literally, you become woke to use a really, really bad term nowadays. But the point is that that wokeness, this is Isaiah talking now, only comes through rest. And like, you really have to commit yourself mm -hmm. to rest and it's a practice. I thought that for me, that was eye-opening because again, mm -hmm. when I first picked up this book, I was like, okay, take a nap. That's not even, that's, that's nothing. That's, mm -mm. that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. The whole point of it is that once you are rested, truly rested, then you're able to see the truth and you're able to navigate it and you're able to attack the system and fight against the grind culture, quote unquote, the two, to me, the two biggest themes that she tackles in this book. Yes. And yes, if we are, and again, it is more, she's very clear that it is more than, than naps. It's, it's not like, that's like, that's part of it. Yes. Being able to lay your body down. But it is it is so much more to be able to to dream. She talks a lot about the dream space. And um, I love I love the imagery and just the way she talks about how when we're asleep, when we're dreaming, that's the opportunity for ancestors to speak to us. And I think about how frequently, you know, I would get a call from my grandmother and she would be like, I had a dream about such and such, or I dreamed fish or I dreamed, you know, whatever. And when I think about that, I'm like, it's because in those moments, because she was a lot older, I'm not working, that she was, she was rested and she's able to tap into that. I can think about how, and, and she talked about this when she took her Sabbath, which I definitely want to talk about, how even her dreams were different. And I know for me, when I'm sleeping well, the 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 dreams are different. The people I, I see in my dreams are different. The emotions are different. But to the point that you just made, like if we are truly at our best rested state, we are more aware and more alert of what is happening around us. We then have more awareness, more alertness, more energy, if you will, to to want to tackle that, to resist that, to, um, I love the way she speaks about Afrofuturism, just thinking about the world that we could have and create for ourselves. It is just, 
there were so many things where I was like, let me pause for a second <laughs> and, 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 and take, and take that in. Um, she starts the book off early with the tenants of the, the nap ministry. And I'm just going to read it real quick. And again, if you're not following the nap ministry on, on IG, you definitely should. Cause she'd just be dropping. They just, the gems. Um, the tenants of the nap ministry are rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. Number two, our bodies are a state of liberation. Three, naps provide a portal to imagine, invent, and heal. Number four, our dream space has been stolen and we want it back. We will reclaim it via rest. The healing that takes place. When she was talking about the, the, the nap events that she held and people would be napping and waking up like in tears because that was the first time that they were able to lay down, like truly lay down, what? Without shame, without guilt, without worry that we're going to miss something that, okay, let's, hold on. I want to get into how she just goes in on social media and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay yes. i'm like well yes. this is gonna be because you know I'm, I'm i'm rarely on there so i mean i don't have let's go ahead what did you want to say i was like yes i have to get off she talks a lot about detoxing and and getting away from social media because of how it is just just how we are brainwashed in it how things are like we scroll for a reason as opposed to like it's it's created to scroll to keep us going as opposed to having a stop page the way that at one point sure it was intended to like you know connect you with friends and family but it has now become a tool of capitalism like when i think when i go on my socials and i see all of the ads for all of this stuff um plus the the comparison co- me comparing myself to other things and other people mm-hmm. gr- grind culture for sure lives on instagram <laughs> like that is where that is where it flourishes okay and so she gives tips on how to, you know, how to, how to detox and just kind of how to remove it. And that is, that's me. Like, I know that when I roll out of bed, the first thing I'm doing is scrolling through stuff. Mm -hmm. Before I go to bed, I'm, I am scrolling through stuff to the point where I'm like, damn, Bianca, why, why? Um, so when I sleep in, I could be sleep. (laughs) I could be laid up with that husband. I could be hanging out with them, their children. My grace, grace calls me on my shit because sometimes she'll be like, mommy, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, okay. And we'll be laying there watching a movie. And if she sees me scrolling on my phone, she will take it from me (laughs) and go put it on the other side of the room. She said, pay attention. So I said, okay. So one of the things, as I was listening to the book, I was like, okay so they were like two they had like these wellness things on the phone where you can like put certain time perimeters on apps Mm -hmm. where you can't access them at certain times so i was like okay sundays i'm taking off this 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 you could also just delete them okay because i deleted that's what i did (laughs) okay okay i'm not there small steps yet Thank you. Can I, can I please? Well, it's, I think, I think Trisha brought this up and I've said it many times on the show. It's just wasted energy. Like this is some fuckery and foolishness. If it makes you feel any, if it's not enriching you in some way, if it's not affirming, get rid of it, throw it away because what are we, what are we doing? 
And I think it's not so. So for me, it's like it's not shit craptastic all the time. And I think that that's why I stay on, right? Like there are things, and I'm probably on Facebook more than I am on Instagram anyway, but there are things that I'm like, so-and-so had a new baby and I love seeing the pictures of that new baby. Or, you know, or or hearing or hearing and seeing the good. Like that's the stuff that I wanna like, ah! But it's also, again, the connection or, so a, a friend of mine, um, I don't even want to say friend. Anyway, somebody I knew in high school a long time, whatever, whatever, um, recently had some serious medical issues. And he and I aren't in touch in the same way, but somebody had posted about it um, and uh, a GoFundMe because it was some significant stuff happened. If I wasn't on social media, I wouldn't have known and I wouldn't have been able to contribute. And so there are some of those moments like that where I'm like, ah, oh, well, that's why I'm connected. But I think the reality is I don't need to be as connected. I don't need to be connected as much as I am. So I think uh, the detoxing for me is how do I limit the amount of time that I give to this? That way I am resting <laughs> when I'm not. But anywho, so she talks about that quite a bit. There was just so many things, but she wanted to talk about um, the birth of her son. And even in that opening, I was like, oh. So so this is one of the things in the book that I wasn't sure how I felt about. Uh, we're going to talk about our likes and dislikes. This is one of the things that I was may have ventured into the dislike. Let me explain. Very early on in the book, she recounts this story about an experience she had with her doctor. She was pregnant with her son. They, uh, she said she had shared that um, in her family that the babies had run kind of big. And so the doctor was concerned that the baby was too big and that she wouldn't be able to deliver it vaginally. And she's like, you know, in my family, the kids run big, but it's okay. I, I can tell you exactly how big the baby's going to be. I think he's going to be eight pounds, she said. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's just, let's just go with eight. Uh, mm-hmm. And we might be misremembering. It was eight. It's going to, it's going to be eight pounds. Um, and the doctor was like, oh no, I, I'm looking at the, you know, the ultrasound or the whatever. And, and this looks like a bigger baby and I'm concerned for your health and whatever. So we're going to do a C-section. And she was like, I'm telling you, it's going to be eight, eight pounds. It's going to be fine. Doctor didn't believe her. So the doctor made the decision to have the C-section. She recounts this. She says how she went home and cried and she really, you know, she wasn't, didn't feel good about the situation. She didn't say this, but what was unspoken was that I think maybe, because I don't think the doctor could have done a C-section without her consent. I think she consented to it, but that she regretted not following her instincts about it. They do the C-section. She weighs the baby. The baby's exactly eight pounds. And the doctor turns to her and says, oh my God, you were right. And she's like, I fucking told you. (laughs) I said what I said. I literally knew. (laughs) The point she was making was that we're never seen, we're never heard. We literally have this expertise and that in the rush of society to like have the baby when on our timetable, as opposed to like having it naturally, letting nature take its course and letting her body do what her body is designed to do. Mm-hmm. The doctor's like, oh no, we need to have the baby today because if you carry this baby to term, it's going to be too big and da, 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 da. And mm-hmm. the point she was making was that even the birth of her son was a rush. Mm-hmm. And she just felt like it wasn't, it didn't feel natural to her. So that's what, that was what she conveyed. Here's what I didn't like about that, Bianca. Mm-hmm. She, in this instance, she was 100% correct. I felt some sort of way about um, pregnant women not heeding the advice of their doctors, even when the doctors, and so in this case, the doctor was wrong. The baby was not too big. But is that a chance you really want to take 
when the doctor is saying to you, for whatever reasons they have, that I think it's better to do a C-section as opposed to have a natural birth. That was what that was what my only small little incy weensy pushback was, because I would always tell women, go with what go with the doctor's recommendation if you trust your doctor, and if you don't, get a new get a new fucking doctor. <laughs> Oh, as somebody with a uterus who has had two children, Isaiah, <laughs> it's not always that simple. <laughs> and we know that there, and, and she is proving here, especially for Black women, our physicians many times do not listen to us. They, they do not. And there are times where it is a very, so also it sounded like in, in, in the story that she was pretty far along in the pregnancy obviously so kind of the get a new doctor isn't doesn't always didn't quite work that way <laughs> i mean if you don't trust the advice and counsel yeah. of your doctor and you don't feel like they're listening to you then then obviously she chose this doctor for a reason they i want to assume now I'm making an assumption that they had a good <laughs> rapport up to that point that's what i was saying i think it goes back to the rush of it all and when, when she, you know, when I was listening to that, I was thinking, you know, just about my own experience with Grace, where my doctor didn't talk to me about all of my options. It was like, you should do this. And I was like, me trusting my doctor and not my own instinct, I was like, okay. And in hindsight, I think of many times, I know for me, I know when I used to be a case manager, et cetera, like we we sometimes put that white coat and that that doctor and what they say over our own gut our own instincts and the way that we know our bodies 1000% and it's capitalism so yes. even if the even if the doctor has um affinity for you capitalism is such that they're just trying to get to the next appointment deliver the next baby yes. like if i can do this c section that i can get to my next baby that much faster. And I think the point Trisha was trying to make was that capitalism took the place of her mm -hmm. wellness, of her son's wellness. And mm -hmm. she talks a lot about capitalism in this book because there is an amalgamation of the yeah. grind culture, the capitalism, the system, they all go together. And in this experience that she was sharing with us, I think all three of them, the grind culture, the capitalism, the system, oh, we're the hospital. This is what we do. Just follow the fucking procedure. Yeah. I think what she was trying to say was that this isn't working. This is this is this this system wasn't crafted for the benefit of us. It was crafted for the benefit of getting me in and out of this hospital so they can move on to the next baby. And C-sections cost more money. Well, of course. So they can be billed more. You can come out of pocket more. They can make more money with those their C-sections. I, I mean, I got it. I got it. I got the whole point mm -hmm. she's trying to make. I just didn't I it didn't sit well with me that okay, you trust your instinct and you don't listen to the doctor. And then what if the doctor was right and you were wrong? Yeah. So that's where my mind went. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's, I made the point. No, but that's true too. And it's like, at the end of the day, you want your baby to be okay. And so I think that's sometimes why we do go against our own instinct and and just rely on the physicians. But um, can, we, can we talk yes. about the Sabbath? Because you want to talk about yes. that. Yes. 30 days. <laughs> so she does a month-long Sabbath where um, 
she doesn't she she uses that time to rest i wanted to find where the book all of the things that entail but essentially there is no social media there is no um email there is no um appointments bookings none of that she uses that time to to rest she talks about dreams she's she talked about um the 17 pages of handwritten um you know notes and ideas and thoughts that she was able to have and um oddly enough so i also listened to jill scott's podcast and they wanted to have her on the show and they tried they reached out to her during her sabbath and so she was like no (laughs) and and i love the fact that you said no to jill scott and them and so she came back after sabbath but she talked about that even though she was very clear with people that this is what I'm doing. She was like, her outgoing message was as such that people were still like, okay, I know you're on your Sabbath, but this is really important. Can you, or, you know, if you, I think somebody said like, oh, if you decide to end early, um, can you do X, Y, Z? And she is like, I am clear that for 30 days. And she says she's done it three times. Um, 30 days. I am, I am off. I'm off the grid and I I love that. I want 60. <laughs> so when are you going on your Sabbath and who will be sitting in your seat during that during that time? That part. I know Grace. <laughs> My child will be ready. I'd love to have Grace Ward as the, as the guest host. Four whole episodes <laughs> featuring Grace Ward. <laughs> uh who should read this book? Black people. I mean, you know, I I say that all the time, but this one in particular was so, because what I also appreciate is that she has a great bibliography, like a great list of other books that folks should read um, that are part of like the Nat ministry. Um, So she, and she references them quite a bit during the book, the, um, the slave narratives, et cetera. Like she, she references them, but for us to have a deeper understanding of and she these are her words and she just uses the words brainwashed a lot like how we especially as black people have been brainwashed to believe that this is how things have to be that Mm -hmm. there is no other choice that we literally come into this world um and in this system that is is not set up for us and is so unfair and so awful um, that we need rest. And she and she's clear that like, yes, there are bills to pay and we got these jobs. And so so create rest rituals in a way that makes sense to you. If it is 20 minutes of closing her eyes, she talks about daydreaming. She talks about mm-hmm. just looking out the window. She says she sleeps anywhere she can that feels safe. She was going to lay down. I want that for us. I I wanted that for my mother. I wanted that for my grandmother. Like, I just, I want that for myself. So what I'm doing is really... I've I've been intentional this year and since I decided to close my business that I no longer it is no longer a badge of honor to wear all of these different hats to have all of these different labels 
Um, because that's what people, that's what people think to be multi-hyphenated and I'm doing this, 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 and this. Yeah, when do you find the time? How does she juggle it all? That shit ain't, it's not cute. It's exhausting. It's not cute at all. A couple of things. I was, as I was reading this book, I thought about my vacations and how I travel a lot with friends and some friends are the type of friends where we can just go and do absolutely nothing and they love it. And then other friends are like, they have to be up at eight in the morning and have an appointment at a museum or some sort of sightseeing event. And I hate those type of vacations because I come back exhausted. I'm like, I wanted to go on a vacation and do nothing. And some people are like, what do you mean? You could do nothing at home. I'm like, that's not, it is not even remotely the same. Like to go somewhere and just to lay on a beach and have nowhere to be, that is fucking fabulous and some people's inability to have nothing to do and nowhere to be I just think it discombobulates them so much and this is this is me in mixed company especially for BIPOC people it's important to go somewhere and have nowhere to be and nothing to do and be comfortable in that space and if you're not comfortable in that space work on that work on being comfortable doing absolutely nothing who should read it? Tired <laughs> <Our> people. <laughs> mm. uh, a little bit more seriously, people who are really want to put some work into reclaiming their bodies, reclaiming their time. You know, we often make light of that meme from um, Maxine Waters. That is that is real. That is 100% real. So if you want to reclaim your time, reclaim your body, reclaim your essence, um, and feel like you have some control over those realms and understanding that, you know, to claim your body is a revolutionary stance, then this is the book that you want to read. It is worth the time. It is worth the money. That's what you've got to do. Hold on one more thing. <laughs> and then we're going to move on. One of the favorite quotes, and it's later in the book, that's, um, she says, I don't want a seat at the table of my oppressor. Mm. I said, we talk all the time in spud words, <laughs> who's at the table and bring in seats to the table and making sure I have a seat at the table. She said, fuck your that. table. I don't. We're going to build a whole new one. <laughs> we are asking to come to the table of the oppressor. She said, I don't want that. Woo! I had to write that down. Okay. No. It really is a, it's a mental paradigm shift on mm -hmm. just the, the language you use, the way we think about it. We don't want us to place the table. We're going to build our own. I love it. Right. Read this book. After we take a nap. Carry on. <laughs> Are you supporting this podcast? Follow, rate, and comment at Warden Webster on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but do it after you've taken a nap. It's what you got to do. <laughs> We'll return for the second half of Warren Webster in just a moment. Work spouses, do you have one? Should you have one? Is that okay? In all the fields, we talk about our work loves and our work exes. I don't know. We talk about work spouses, y'all. <laughs> you know, when I don't write the intro, it is a struggle. But I was it doesn't literally just matter. about to say, this is her going uh, off the cuff, off the cuff, and that's what y'all got. I am not a freestylist. So 
we throw around the term. Um, so as Isaiah already mentioned, we work together and we were recently at a dinner and we were talking about um, work spouses. And I think you were talking about who your work wife was, etc. cetera. Um, and it's just a term that I know I've heard a lot. I don't know if I've ever actually had a work spouse because I ended up marrying the spouse that I used to. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. She had a real work spouse. <laughs> but in this, in the context of how we think of them or how they're defined, he and I definitely were not that. So, work spouses are defined is a phrase referring to a coworker with whom one shares a special relationship, having bonds similar to those of a marriage. Early references suggest that a work spouse may not just be a coworker, but can also be someone in a similar field who the individual works closely with from a partnering company. A work spouse has been defined as a special platonic friendship with a work colleague characterized by a close emotional bond, high levels of disclosure and support, and mutual trust, honesty, loyalty, and respect. Mm. Now, a lot of people will be shocked, shocked to learn that I have two work spouses and you are neither of them. <laughs> I am not surprised and I'm okay with that. But also look at you, work poly. <laughs> no, it's really not work poly because I have a work husband and a work wife. And, you know, those aren't, aren't really the same. And that's a whole nother show if I need to explain that to y'all. But uh, it's two different. They're, they're, they give you two different emotion so it's not to me it's not the same but before i even get to mine why is it do you have work spouses because i don't think you do i don't have work spouses now I... let's 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 put you on the couch first what do you think that's about what is it what is it about you that you don't like commitment and intimacy <laughs> and bonding with other people let's go let's I... let's get into it I do, but I think it's the term spouse that throws me off. I have work siblings. You are my work sibling. I have people who, which might even be for me higher than a spouse. I have I have people at work that I would put at the, the category of my sibling. Like they would also be my emergency contact. <laughs> they would be like our relationship is so close. Um, and maybe I don't have a work spouse because I couldn't just choose one. <laughs> I would be work poly. <laughs> I would be. But this I'm, need to please everybody is, it, is uh, bizarre. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what happened to you where you don't want to like turn people down. And I'm like, no. you know what? It's not that. It's not I that have stupid. I have work family, and I think about so when I started this job, the one that we work in now. I had said to myself that I wasn't going to get close to people, mm -hmm. uh, that I was coming to work. And I was I was in that mind step state because my previous job where I met my husband, that had become my work family. Like we were like our lives were so intertwined that even leaving the job was hard. Like I felt like I was letting them down. It feels like a breakup and like all of this loyalty that comes along with the idea of family, right? So I was like, this new job, I'm just coming in here to, to work, get this check, get these benefits, get up out of here. However, <laughs> the people that I, I can't escape the fact that we work with really amazing people and that their 
you just start to create this this bond and this sharing and you're going through life together. And I think the idea of having a work spouse or work family is very valid because when you think about, especially pre-pandemic, but how much time you spend with your colleagues, it's often more than you spend with your own family. So like that bond, unless you work with just complete assholes, like that bond is (laughs) going to happen. So my work wife is Angela, who's been on the show once or twice. She was a guest host once. And I think, does she come back another time? Mm-hmm. And we talk about her often. She She's a faithful wonder. She listens to the show every week. And she sends, she's really good about sending in um, ideas and things like that. Mm-hmm. So Angela and I work very closely because we were partners on um, some work projects. We were in the same department. We were kind of like the team leaders of a team at work. And we just kind of gelled. She is one of the most genuine, kindest people that I've ever met. She's also really, really funny and just easy to kind of get along with. And so in terms of like working with another person, we just kind of gel. Now it's funny because she's, she tells this story about how I was working there before she started working there. And she didn't think that I liked her because I was a part of her interview team. Long story short, you know, she's great. She's absolutely great. And she's like the only person that's ever really been under consideration in my eyes as a work spouse, as a work wife. Now there's other women that I l- absolutely love, you know, Emily, uh, Watson. I mean, there's a number of them, but it's, it's, it's Angela. And then <laughs> in my work husband, um, Bianca knows his name is Mike. I literally was talking to Mike earlier today. Cause we kiki all the time. Now, <laughs> Mike is a super smart gay man. You know, um, we share like this, (laughs) this uh, shade throwing together where he's a great person to gossip with. We don't work together a lot because we're in two different departments, but in any type of work function, like at a work meeting, we're usually together. And so people always see us together like, y'all always sit next to each other. What's that about? I'm like, well, because, you know, I have to kiki with somebody about the fact that y'all showed up to work looking like that without a bra. Um, and so Mike is just really, <laughs> he's, so he's, petty. he's just a, a, a cool person to like hang out with. And we hang out outside of work and everything. And again, I have great relationships with other dudes at work, but, it, you know, it's just Mike. And so it is what it is. Um, And I assume, Bianca, quite frankly, that everyone kind of had these work outlets, people they confide in, people they go to to with someone at the work function that they know they can hang out with and it won't be awkward, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think most people have that, even if they don't call it a work spouse. I, yeah, I could say so. I could see that. And I think even when I was looking up different, um, just articles to reference for this segment, um, one of the ones that I stumbled upon, but it was from somebody that wanted me to pay money. You know, I don't be subscribing to shit. <laughs> but um, I think the, the even the title was like, are you missing your work spouse during the pandemic? And it talked about the fact that, um, or from what I could see before they were like, give us money <laughs> was, you know, the work spouse is also somebody that you're used to seeing on a regular basis. So you're working together, you're collaborating, you might be having lunch, you could be having happy hours, all of those things. And then once we were sent home, it, there wasn't that. And so even just that, that withdrawal, that separation and how that impacted us. Um, Forbes says we have to stop. <laughs> This article says, let's stop talking about work spouses. 
And I'm just going to scroll really quickly, but it says what's most problematic about the work spouse label is that labels can be self-fulfilling. In other words, we may end up thinking about our work spouses in a sexual way just because of the label. So, so social psychologists have repeatedly found that the labels we assign to things, the words that we use actually shape how we perceive things. The classic example of this labeling effect comes from a study of teachers and students where some students were randomly labeled as smart. The children who were randomly labeled as smart actually performed better in school. So then it goes on about that study, but it says if we label a coworker, a work spouse, which implies romance or physical attraction, we will be more likely to sexualize them in a relationship. Indeed, according to the survey, a whopping 50% of employees with work spouses admitted romantic attraction to this person and simply hired um, in the Simply Hired survey, 84% of men and 61% of women reported romantic attractions to their work spouse. So I have a confession to make. <laughs> let me just let me just tell y'all. Under no circumstance whatsoever has Angela ever thought about me in any sexual fashion. <laughs> what? So I can guarantee <laughs> that it's never crossed her mind. And I can guarantee that when I see Angela or think of Angela, I am not thinking about Angela in that way. It's just not that. I would think of her more like a sister than just see? you. Just, just you. So also, then why not your work sibling as opposed to your work wife? Is it because you're a gay? If you weren't a gay. <laughs> so so if I'm being honest, I, I don't. I don't think Angela and I are tied to these terms. Like if you want to call her my work sister or my, just my work friend, you could, I don't care. I don't even think she cares. And I know Mike don't care. So like, so, so we're not uber tied to these terms, whatever you call Angela and Mike, they're, they're going to, they're going to be my, my little sidekicks. So you can call them whatever you want. I believe that you can have platonic friendships and relationships with people. You know, I hang out with all these queens. A lot of them are very good looking and people are always like, ooh, is that your friend or is that your whatever? I'm like, no, that's my friend. Like, like what what are you doing? So like, I think you can have platonic bonds with people. I've, I've been very fortunate to have those in my life and you know, whatever. <laughs> Not everybody's like you, Bianca. Wait, what now? What? <laughs> because, because, because you married your work spouse that's what i mean but he wasn't my work spouse see this is the but point he, i'm making you know he was you didn't call him you didn't call him a work spouse but he clearly was i mean he's your actual spouse what are we doing what are we, you know what but when we what is to find this way like somebody you confide in and you work closely with and like all of that like that's you didn't how confide the... in cliff when y'all worked together you weren't giving him rides quote unquote <laughs> what he needed to be girl bye but we did it I cannot stand you. You get on my damn nerves. Um, all that <laughs> to say, I have never had a work spouse. I think I, yeah, but I think I have work family and I am grateful for that. <laughs> You're my work brother. You couldn't be my work husband though. I've never had one of those. <laughs> I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> And you're welcome. At this, at this stage of life, you take what you can get and you be satisfied. We're moving on. Let's. <laughs> In this week's Gotta Do, I want to prepare you for the future and reminisce on the past. What you gotta do is document your dreams. 
So as you all know, we just reviewed uh, Rest is Resistance uh, by Trisha Hersey. And I want you to do something for Bianca and I. So Wanders, here's the challenge. For the next month, I would like for you to document as best you can your dreams. And it's a very, very simple ask. When you wake up, um, just keep, well, let me back up. Keep some way to document your dreams by your bed or by where you rest or sleep. It can be your, your notepad. It can be an iPad. It can be whatever, however you want to document it, pen and paper. Keep it to where you sleep because what you're going to need to do as soon as you wake up, write down your dreams. It, obviously, if you don't write them down, you won't remember them. So you remember them for a short period of time, um, but you won't remember them for a long period of time. I would like for you to document as many dreams as you can over the next month. And at the end of February, there this will all make sense then. So next week, I'm going to reveal our book for February and you'll begin to see where we're heading with this. But it's a good segue from the book we just read and what we're going to be reading next month. So what you got to do is document your dreams. Bianca, we've talked about dreams kind of a, uh, in a periphery way on this show. Do you document your dreams now? Have you ever documented them? I have documented them in the past, never consistently. Um, one of the tips, because we did a need to know on on, on dreams, so I'm really ex excited. Um, but one of the tips that they say is that you are more like, like how to remember them. Because the mm -hmm. issue that some folks have is like, I had this dream. I know I had this dream. I woke up and I can't remember. Um, so I know one of the tips that I've heard that you're more likely to remember your dreams if you work, wake up naturally versus mm -hmm. with like an alarm or something that yes. kind of yeah, startling yeah. you out of it um like you said to keep something close to the bed i usually just use my phone because it's right there and just get into and that, that notes too. thing yeah um and don't necessarily be rigid so you're not you don't have to remember everything but symbols things that you remember is there a cat in the dream is there a, a specific color just any a presence that you feel yes. it, it might be a, a simple bullet or two you're, you're not writing paragraphs and it doesn't have to be every single dream like if you could do it just a couple of times a week even over the course of a month you're going to end up with uh a, quite a bit of data there so as you remember to do it uh, document your dreams in February. And that's what you got to do. And just trust me, um, it'll make sense uh, four weeks from now. So to recap, <laughs> what you need to know is that rest is resistance. Not only is that a practical, not only is that a great concept, it's a great book. So read it. Um, that's what you need to know. What you got to feel is some affinity for your work spouses. They're important. You should have one. As a matter of fact, have, have several. <laughs> Bianca's all about Polly, so <laughs> lean into it. And get them nice things for Valentine's Day. You get them a Valentine. You can have a different work spouse for different things, like whatever. Do it to you. Do you. And then what you got to do is document your dreams because Isaiah's asking you to and because it's going to be important later. That's all I can say right now. <laughs> also, in February, we have a new series. Oh, my God. Drum roll, please, Bianca. So as you know, we have Money May, mm -hmm. we have our Gasmic October. These mm -hmm. are traditional, institutionalized, popular segments that people live for, literally live for. And me and Bianca were thinking, you know what? Why don't we throw a little something, something in the wintertime? Something to keep them warm, something to get them ready, something to tie them over until Money May returns. <laughs> and would you know that we went into our little workshop and we workshopped it and we cut up paper and did all that. And what we came out with was fit 
February. I am pleased to announce that Fit February is the brand new month-long series at Warden-Webster. So in the tradition of Money May and Orgasmic October, we are proud to introduce Fit February. Now, I'm going to describe it, B, and if I get it wrong, you can correct me. Mm -hmm. When we say fit, we don't just mean physically fit. We mean mentally fit. We Mm -hmm. mean spiritually fit. We Mm -hmm. mean culturally fit. So Mm -hmm. we're going to get some fitness about us in all of those realms. And because we do a whole month on money, we're not going to do financial fitness. We'll save that for Money May. But Fit February is about the mind, the body, the spirit, and the culture. So we're going to have some guests and some segments in our Gotta Do segment all throughout February. And it's going to be known as Fit February. Anything you want to add to that, Miss, Miss, Miss V? So uh, the reason there's another segment is because things are better in threes. And that's why Fit February is born, because things are better in threes. And I'm coming back to that Polly again. We can call it the (laughs) Warden-Webster Trinity. Oh, my God. Look at... (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) The Warden-Webster Trinity. Yeah! Fit February, Money May, Orgasmic October. And I feel like that goes together so well. Those three things, fitness, coins, and sex, come on now. (laughs) So next week, Fit February kicks off with a segment on anti-Blackness. Ooh, child, we're going to dive head deep into the deep end. So that'll be our first installment of Fit February. We're going to get you fit around what's keeping us from leaning into our full, bold Blackness. I can't wait. I can't wait. Also, are you advertising with us? Reach out via email at warandwebster at gmail.com. We are now selling ad space on this show. If you would like to post an ad about how you're happy to be my work spouse, dig on into those pockets and give us some money and post an ad. Mike, Angela, I'm talking to y'all. And also visit wardandwebster.com every Saturday morning for brand new episodes of this iconic podcast. And if you need to write that down, just like you're going to write those dreams down, that's wardandwebster.com. Dot com. <laughs> Woo! Let them know. And follow us on oh. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Warden Webster. Rate us, subscribe, do the things that you need to do to keep telling your friends. We like it. I'm Isaiah Webster. I am Bianca, well rested Ward. It's time for my nap. It is. Time to, time to lay down. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we are out. <laughs>